The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the community. This created by Carl Sinn. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everybody. I hope you can hear me. A cordial welcome on behalf of uh, the Trinity School of Languages, Literatures, and Cultural Studies. My name is uh, Dr. Clemens Rudner. I'm the director of research uh, within the school. And it is my great pleasure to welcome to our last talk of our uh, research seminar in Hillary term uh, 2022. Uh, our new colleague, uh, Dr. Theo Munyangeo, uh, he joined the school in uh, l- last year in July um, uh, as an assistant professor in Francophone African Studies, and he also serves as the deputy director of the Center for Global Intercultural Communications. Uh, prior to joining uh, Trinity College, uh, he worked at uh, Leeds Beckett University uh, in the UK, uh, several functions. He is a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Linguists and a senior fellow of the United Kingdom's Higher Education Academy. And uh, also he has various functions uh, uh, and an extensive publication record. Uh, Theo, we are very happy to have you here uh, today uh, with your talk on intersecting and continuous uh, identities in African narratives. Uh, the floor is yours. Welcome. Thank you very much, Clemens. Um, now, the, this, this issue of um, African narratives, it's a line of inquiry that I have been pursuing for, for many years. Uh, so this is a work in progress. If, for instance, there are, there are some shortcomings, uh, I, I can, first of all, apologize for it because I'm still working on this, um, this paper. So intersecting and contiguous identities in African narratives, ontological and anthropological perspectives. So let, let's let's share with you the content of the uh, this uh, this presentation. We will be looking at the writing as social responsibility. Uh, this has been um, a contagious or uh, debatable um, aspect of, uh, of of literature studies. Um, do writers, for instance, have any social responsibility? If yes, in which context? If no, uh, why do we write? Um, the second part of it will be um, about the identities in Africa. Uh, why? Because uh, you will have, for instance, the Western um, anthropology, uh, which considers Africa as a um, homogenic entity, um, where we have um, African culture. And you will, how many times, for instance, do we hear people saying African community, um, not communities, but African community. Um, so we, we look at the, uh, the identities and trying to problematize it because the concept of identity is a very complex one. Even UNESCO hasn't been able to define it. Um, experts have been trying, but um, it's a very elusive uh, concept. So we will come back to that. Um, and the third, we, we will look at the, uh, the different violences which have been taking place in Africa. So from the cradle of uh, humanity to a, a continent of, um, of violence, 
So we'll look at these uh, issues, but trying to put them in a uh, literary context, not necessarily in a political or social context, even though we will tap into that. And uh, four, we will be looking at the, uh, the case studies of representation. And representation has been my area of, I can claim of expertise, because I have been looking into the, uh, how writers have been um, representing the, the, the social and political context in um, narratives, whether it is in English speaking Africa or in French speaking Africa, even though the English, the French speaking um, Africa has been uh, my main focus. And, and lastly, we, we look at, so what can we do? So um, are writers going to continue uh, in this pessimistic, pessimistic view or is there any, um, any uh, positive note and have um, in their representation. So that's probably the content we'll be looking at, but feel free to uh, take me off the rail um, and I will be happy to answer any question uh, which is um, stepping outside those uh, key areas. So, um, but to begin with, um, actually I wanted to discuss uh, with you what is writing because it has been one of the aspects I have been looking into and many of you have done so. So writing, why do we write? How do we write? And uh, who do we write? Um, so many um, critics have been talking about the interconnection, the, the, the relationship between the writer and the reader. When we are writing, do we write it for ourselves? As if we are writing diaries. Do we write, when we are writing, do we think of the readership? Do we think about it, for instance, the publishers? Or do we think of any comment that people will be making by reading us? Are we sometimes afraid of um, putting ourselves including our reputation outside of there when we are writing. I used to, to run some sessions on writing for communication, uh, which were sessions um, targeting early careers and, and the PhD students. And one of the daunting experiences was to, to, to write for publications. Um, the, the issue was how can you really face critics outside here, because whatever you write, people will, you will be stepping outside your own comfort zone. So if we write then for ourselves, why don't we keep it? If we don't write for ourselves, how can we shy away from expressing actually this kind of tacit contract we have with the society? And by society, I mean the leadership. And um, I can start with, for example, Sartre, who, who defined writing as uh, when he, he referred to um, what writing entails. And he said, it's not true that one can write for oneself. That would be the worst failure. The creative act is an abstract concept and an incomplete task. Because the writing enterprise involves reading as a correlative dialectic and the both interconnected acts require the two distinct agents. And the agents, I can actually replace it with distinct partners. 
It is the tacit interaction between the author and the reader that ensures both the imaginary and the reality intersect in the great literary masterpiece. So if we look at what um, Jean-Paul Sartre says, um, there is definitely this kind of, on the back of our head when we were writing, we think of someone who is going to be reading it. We may be in denial, uh, but always whatever you do, you will just say, hang on a minute, um, what will people say if I just use these words? So we have the, the self-censorship in normal communications and writing is a part of communication processes. So if then we agree that sometimes when writers are writing, they think of the readership, then probably there is this kind of contract uh, between the writer and, and the readership. And this is what I have noticed in um, different narratives, but we will come to that. So if we agree that writing has the part of the imaginary and the reality with, in, which intersect them to form that quite kind of um, part of um, the creative, um, creative uh, masterpiece. When we talk about the engaged writer or engagement in general, so what do we mean by then? So the, the conceptualization of engagement in literature, it's not new, mainly in African context. And it's not even in African context. You will have, for instance, in the French literature, um, some novelists who have been in, 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 in prison because of publishing their, their, their novels. Not in modern France, though. Don't worry about this. So I'm talking about, for instance, when um, Flaubert published Madame Bovary because he was tapping the, the social um, norms and he was threatened to, be, to, to go to jail because of writing a novel, Madame Bovary. So, which means it has always been the case that some writers may have this kind of engagement. The difference is you will have different levels of engagement where some people can have social engagement, other, other, uh, others can have a political engagement, philosophical engagement, and so on. So, so once again, we are just driving our, our, the perception of, of engagement from the contract between the writer and the, the tacit contract, let's use tacit, the tacit contract between the writer and the reader. So the, the engagement in, in literature can, can be seen, can be perceived. What the uh, Michel Antoine Bernier uh, says about the engagement in literature, he says, the engaged writer knows the power of the words. They know that unveiling generates change that one can only reveal by seeking for the changes. They also know that words, and I put them in the bold, they are not in the, uh, in the original text. I put myself, I put them in the bold uh, myself. So words are, are uh, loaded the pistols. And by pistols, I mean shotgun. They are loaded. Whenever they speak, I mean, the engaged writers, whenever they speak, they aim to shoot. This should be like an adult shooter who steadily hit the target instead of acting like a child who should with close the eyes for the sole purpose of listening to detonations. So if we are not like that child, then who is just going to wait for the effect in terms of 
um, not the intended um, target. So it means we probably have to accept uh, that literature can actually convey some uh, social practices. And on that basis, uh, I can move to the, the, um, the intersection between the, the literature and identity in African context. But before I do that, what is actually identity? Identity is a complex, as I said, a complex um, concept uh, which has been, uh, I don't know, in the literature, uh, in the essays, in different documents, even in official ones, um, when people are talking about identity, what do they really want to, 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 to say? Is identity something people give you or is identity something you, you give to yourself? Is it the way people feel about you or is it about the way you feel about yourself? Identity is not the point, but equivalent point said uh, how in ethnicity, identity, and differences. It's about an ambivalent point. So, which means we can have multiple identities. Multiple identities, and I said, identity can be linguistic, one can be cultural identity, it can be social identity, it can be philosophical identity, ideological identity, it can be regional identity, it can be anything. So, when we talk about then identities, um, sometimes we just use, we are referring to a very elusive concept. Michael Hogg and Dominic Abrams define identity as uh, referring to people's concepts of who they are. So it's not about what people think you are, it's about who you are. It's about who they are, of what sort of people they are, and how they relate to others. Absolutely. I remember discussing these uh, issues of identity, for instance, with some colleagues when we were looking at the uh, race equality. And uh, one colleague said, so do we use, for instance, um, people of color when we are referring to minorities? And the person I said, ah, definitely not. I don't like it because I don't see myself as a person of color. Why? Because of color, it's as if we are just a painting or something. Uh, but our identity is more than that. It's, made, it's more than how I look like. And uh, my colleague said, so, uh, would we use then BMA? Um, black, minority, ethnic, and Asian, and so on and so on. I said, yeah, I would rather just take that one, which is kind of very um, inclusive. Um, and at the end, uh, I failed anyway. So we ended up in our, in our policy document in the previous university by using people of color. Then I said, okay, I give up. I'm a, a democratic guy and therefore uh, let's, let's go for it. But it's about who you are. How do you feel about, about yourself, about um, the reason of being? So the uh, Francis Deng, for instance, he says, it's about the way individuals and the groups define themselves and that are defined by others on the basis of race, ethnicity, region, language, and, and the culture. 
that is the very basic one, the obvious one, the visible one, the explicit one. It's it's what comes into 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 your face when we talk about identity. But it goes deeper because we have micro identities. And when it comes to Africa, we will look at how, for instance, um, those DIY sometimes, which means manufactured identities, can fuel uh, tensions and wars. And lastly, um, let's let's see what the Clifford, uh, for instance, says. He says, mm, "What if? What actually? What if identity is conceived not as a boundary to be maintained, but as the nexus of relations and the transactions actively engaging a subject? That would be fantastic. And that's what I mean by um, the." The, 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 the positive note of intercultural communications. And we will look at it when we contextualize it by putting it in, in literature. So then let's go into details um, and apply it to Africa. So what is African identity? Does it exist? The answer is no. But African identities, and we, which are they? I tried to have, um, to, des to design this, <laughs> this diagram. Because I was just say, okay, wonderful. So if we are talking about intersecting and the contiguous identities, do we actually have contiguous identities? The answer is in a theory, yes, but in a practice, no. All identities are intersecting. And if they're inter intersecting, then I have identified the main ones, but uh, I'm not leaving behind um, the micro identities. Because I, I was considering only the linguistic um, identity or ethnicity, tribes. Um, I didn't talk about the castes. Um, space, for instance, you have regional identity, national identity. You have villages uh, which have been fighting against another village, for instance. Uh, if you have read, for instance, um, a river between by Chino Achebe, you will, you, sorry, by Nguju uh, Athiongo, sorry. <laughs> in, in Kenya, you will look at that. Um, and you can have clans, you can have um, culture. And the culture as well, it's very multidisciplinary as well. So it has um, sub subcultures, it has sub-identities. And when it, we talk about Africa, you will have people actually who, who just take it in a simplistic way and consider Africa as if it was a country. How many times, for instance, um, did I have to answer questions about who is the president of Africa? I said, what? President of Africa? There's no president of Africa. I said, oh, so are they kings or something? I said, no, 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 we have a president. Because we have, um, I think at that time it was the 54 countries and we, they are still growing. Africa, it's just, it's bizarre. Because we, we, we it was 54 uh, be, before Sudan was divided into two. Now we have North and South of Sudan, which are independent countries. So we have a 55 members of uh, African Union. So, and when you talk about Africa, we are talking about a continent which has more than 1. almost 1.4 billion of people. Very big continent. If we talk up, we, we take for instance, a country like Nigeria with around 260 million uh, or people speaking five, over five, uh, 525 languages, and when I talk about these languages, some people say, um, because you have um, 
department, departments of African languages in Africa. Every single university, I think they have um, African linguistics or African languages or comparative linguistics, historical linguistics, but looking into, 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 into African languages. And to, to, to make justice to those languages, we, we classify them into different zones. Um, zone X, Y, Z, zone A, B, C, D, J, and I think in Rwanda, Wolof, um, um, they, they come under the same G uh, because the, the linguistic structure, they share the linguistic structure. And when you speak one language, for instance, you may navigate, you may just um, uh, find it easy to learn another one. But that happens, for instance, with proximity, that happens with Indo-European languages. Because I remember when I was in, 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 in Portugal and I couldn't speak Portuguese, I decided to speak Spanish and I got what I wanted because they could understand me. So you, you really have those kind of similarities. Um, it, it, when in some universities, for instance, University of Nottingham, the, 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 the Catalan is a part of the Department of French. So you will have those similarities and you can classify those languages depending on what you want to, to achieve. But you have those languages, are they written? Some of them, yes, some others are, are, are spoken and some of them because of the linguistic revitalization which is, in, which is under, the, um, uh, under the UNESCO, but UNESCO, is it because they don't have money or do they have different priorities for education, for cultural heritage, and then language revitalization, they just say, so Africa has already over 2000 languages. Do we need really to revitalize those languages? Maybe time will come, but at this stage, uh, some of them may be dying. So we talk about, for instance, a country like uh, DRC, so Democratic Republic of Congo, which has over 242 sp spoken languages. And this is a very big country because we are talking about 2,344,000, I can't even say. So it's just square kilometers. So almost 2 million. So 2 million, do we have uh, any, any country in Europe? We, this size, the answer is absolutely not. Probably Russia. I have no idea about Russia though. I'm not going to stick my, my, my head under the, the sword just to say there is no other country. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the Western, Western Europe anyway. So uh, I went to teach in Zambia. That was um, uh, three years, University of Zambia. And I was uh, really amazed when my first experience was to see on Zambian television, um, seven journalists swapping the chair just to read news bulletin and speaking different languages so that the entire nation can, 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 see, can uh, be aware of what is going on at the national level. Because even though it was colonized by British, so English is a kind of lingua franca across the, the, the nation, but they have 72 languages and the seven main languages uh, which are spoken. Um, and you should be able to speak at least one language, uh, one of the seven. And I, I had to learn one and I do, and I speak it with native fluency anyway. So uh, I had to learn one of the seven uh, so that I could be, uh, I can uh, immerse in, in Zambian culture. So you, you have those, 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 those linguistic identities, but the misconception of identities and the, the connection between multiple identities and the conflicts is, 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 um, is, is a Western thing. 
Because sometimes they say, oh, is it because in Africa you have um, different tribes and that's probably you, uh, they, they're fighting? The answer is no. Because you really have uh, some two countries, for instance, I, I can give as an example, it's Rwanda and Burundi. Uh, Rwanda and Burundi, they have um, one language for three ethnic groups. And yet you, 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 you are aware of what happened in 1994. So starting with civil war in 1990 and ended uh, in genocide in 1994. So th th there are so many issues. Um, and I, as I said, we will look at the, how literature has portrayed um, conflicts. And you see that some of them are manufactured uh, for political or economic interest. So now what happened then with Africa, which is rich in terms of identities? Actually, it should be a positive thing. But guess what? It's not. Because we have this, uh, what I call the predicament of independence, identity-based wars. I'm not going to go through all those wars. But no one who has been to Africa, I I'm 100% um, I'm sure uh, so you have been there. I was talking to some of my, my friends um, who are attending right now, have been in Togo, maybe some have been in Senegal, in Liberia, in Rwanda, South Africa, and, 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 and many other countries. I have been in many countries in Africa, even Europe as well. So I'm an international person. So um, you have, for instance, from Mali, um, since independence, the Tuareg rebellion, you, 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 you have heard. Senegal, for instance, conflict. You have Liberia, Sierra Leone, Ivory Coast, poof. DRC, because of minerals, a country which is the richest country in the minerals in the world, uh, because it has a third of the world, and yet the poorest country in the world because of minerals. And sometimes you have these sea wars. Anyone who rich, you can just go to Congo. Minerals. Not encouraging you to do so, but what, what I mean here is those minerals are during conflicts. And the narratives or the novels, the writers haven't kept it quiet towards this one. You really have, for instance, some of my, for instance, who talked about the Kinla, Joa Kinla, Holy. So the madness of Kinshasa, and the Kin by Kin, it's just a shortcut of Kinshasa. And in one of the, the papers I published some years ago, I was talking to the onomastic technique, which has been used by some African writers, where they even use the existing names, the existing um, facts in history, so that they can lure um, the readers into the, the trap of thinking they, they are reading um, a, a historical documents, not a novel. So that kind of blurring boundary between um, between the fiction and reality has has been has been a big issue, and I will um, mention something at the end of the last slide. So you have these these conflicts with Burundi, with Rwanda, with Chad, with um, Central African Republic, with uh, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Somalia, Angola, Mozambique, and I'm not even mentioning even in South Africa um, because South Africa was. A, a civil war of another kind, because it was a black against white um, in um, um, the war against apartheid. Um, so the, but the, I think the only country which has never had any, any conflict is Botswana. For what reason? God knows. But it has been a very safe country, the safest country you can think of. 
and and yet it is surrounded by by walls, um, etc. So, if then you have these these walls, which have been interpreted as walls based on ethnicity, on caste, on clans, on tribes, and so on, so on. I think we have to understand. We 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 have to look at what is actually ethnicity. And ethnicity, the way it is, it is defined, um, if we understand ethnicity as in its functionalist uh, sociological form, uh, where it becomes the closest to defining as an entity or a group of people bounded by language, history, social norm, values, and behavior, then this identity, this ethnicity doesn't exist in Africa, or it can exist in some countries. Because here, as we said, if ethnicity means those people who are sharing one language, definitely not, because we will really have um, different ethnic groups, for instance, and I mentioned Rwanda and Burundi, where we have three ethnic groups with, with one single language. Do, we, do they have the same history? Yes and no. They may have the same history in modern history, but when it comes to um, anthropological uh, perspective, then you may end up by having the, the lineage where they are just descendant from some of them may be coming from the Lake Chad, near Lake Chad, others may be coming from the side of Ethiopia, then but how many centuries? Centuries and centuries, even before Jesus was born. So it, it, is, it is an issue um, which has to be problematized when it comes to ethnicity. So which means the conflict in Africa or the way it has been portrayed or the way it has put, been put in the Western narrative, it doesn't exist. And that's why when it comes to the uh, African narratives, they don't mention ethnicity. So they just talk about the identities, villages, clans, this, and so on, so on. But ethnicity is a complex, um, is a complex issue, dif difficult to, 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 to find. So now, if then we have the, the this, um, problematization of ethnicity. So how did um, the writers then use it, use the multiple identities or the intersectionality of identities to, um, to, to write their, 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 their novels? So um, I put them under the, the rhetoric of representation. And the rhetoric of representation is not something which is new. So we we, we, within the English-speaking Africa, maybe the titles we can see here, for instance, with uh, Things Fall Apart by uh, Chinua Achebe in the 50s, that was um, before independence, but and that's probably a few years before Ghana be became independent. But here in Nigeria, we're talking about Nigeria, and he was talking about Things Fall Apart. And Nigeria, you know, the Biafra War, you have uh, different wars which took place before uh, before independence. But I have to mention something. So the wars which have been in Africa or the identities, ethnicity, they have not been created by the colonialists. No, definitely not. So because the uh, those identities existed in the long history of nations in, in Africa. So you have then the, the rhetoric of representation, which has been there uh, from the 50s until 2021, for instance, I mentioned here. So I'm not going through all of those uh, titles. I was just trying to, to, to show you that the representation of the society has been a kind of normal practice 
And if you look at, for instance, King Lajua, King Lafuri by Ashir Ngoi, um, that was the novels of the 90s always have this kind of onomastic uh, where there is a blurring boundary between what is history and what is uh, fiction. And I, I'm, and, and I know pretty well uh, this area because I did research on uh, novels which have been published in 1990s. Um, and I used a, a corpus of more than nine of them um, to, re, uh, to reflect uh, many others. So, so the representation has been absolutely abundant. And if I can illustrate, for instance, one of them, uh, look at this one, for instance, by um, Dominique Mufuyo. This is one author, one country, and one theme, violence. And that was from the 90s until now. And all of those novels, they are not, not just simple novels. They are masterpieces. They are fantastic novels. And I think he has been awarded different prizes, awards for good literature, good novel, good writer, good this and so on and so on. So which means this is, and this is one person only and one country. And the country which is Congo Brazzaville, it's not a big country like uh, Nigeria or, 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 or Sudan or, uh, or, or DRC, it's just the Congo Brazzaville. So why? Because the, the topics have been, there haven't been any shortage of violence to write about. And um, I, I will come to, uh, to, to um, some, some of the African icons uh, in literature who just say, what else can you say if you don't link literature with the society? if you are in the middle of the, the, the violence like this. So even though we have this violence which has been um, portrayed here, but still it doesn't mean the situation will always be like that. No, 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 uh, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. So you have, for instance, from this, the pessimism to a constructive alterity. So which means you will have some novels uh, some, some writers who just say, yes, um, this is a big issue, but can we continue like that? And that's exactly what, I, uh, what is the, the, the epicenter of this paper about the intersecting identity and how, for instance, there is a shift between that violence, looking at the, the, the fatalistic um, Africa or perspective, perspective on, on Africa and the, the other positive note of African context. So the, because of that representation, there have been um, some critics, including myself, if I can, uh, I can call myself a critic, but there have been some critics who have been um, talking about the sociological writing and reading. Because when you look at them, the novels, which are highlighting the, the part of history, with so accuracy, then you just say, okay, so am I writing, am I reading a novel or am I reading history? If, if that's the case, then there is this kind of uh, uh, blurring uh, vision um, between those two, um, two words. So is it possible then to be reading by using sociological reading? So that's what I did. And this book was, I published this book in 2010 which has the uh, subtitle of for a sociological reading of Af African novels of French expression. 
So, and I was looking at the, the entire literature, which has been published in those um, decades, um, looking at how, for instance, those uh, countries which have inspired the publication of those books actually could find themselves within those narratives. And Chinua Achebe himself, who is the, the, the icon of African literature, um, he said, any African who tries to avoid the big social and political issues of contemporary Africa will end up being completely irrelevant. Like that absurd man in the proverb who leaves his house burning to pursue a rat fleeing from the flames. So which means all of those many African writers or novelists have been um, getting the echoes from uh, what Chinuache is saying. That is, if, if you don't then publish something which is appealing to people in hard suffering, then what is going to read it? And if then you are not writing leadership, then who are you writing to or writing for? And that's exactly the reason why I have posed the, 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 the first question in, in, in those, under those things. So, so now, the tools I'm, I'm looking at in these studies are the Ondongo, which has been published by Dominic Mufuiro. So in this, uh, for instance, which has been um, published in, in, in Colombia, it's so accurate the way it is actually um, narrating the events, real event key dates. It is it's about in, 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 in 1963, talking about uh, these events, and it's uh, uh, talking about how the nation has broken chains. So here is a taking it, there is a shift from the, the pessimism to optimism, because those chains have been broken by Africans, by against African leadership, because that was after the independence. And uh, for people who don't know the history of Congo, it, um, it's about the, in August, three days that they have called uh, Trois Glorieux. So three glorious days when the unionists uh, decided to lead uh, some riots, some uh, uprising against um, a priest, against the father Fibiri Yulu, uh, who was the, the first president of Congo uh, after the independence. But it is talking about the real events. And when you are looking at these, um, uh, these uh, extracts, for instance, there's no way you can think of a novel. It's as if you are just re uh, looking at the, at, the, at the piece of history. But that's my main, uh, my, my main objective. So the, the aim here is to look at the way he's actually portraying those uprisings but as if it was something positive, because he's, he's, he's talking about how different uh, groups, different ethnic groups, different tribes, different villages, different this and so on, so on. All of those differences within the country have come together for the common goal, the common cause. Because it was against the neocolonialism. Neocolonialism, because this uh, the president was just as if he was working for the former uh, colonial master. So he's, it's, it's just about talking about how people have put differences uh, aside to, to come as, as one. 
And the second one is l'amour à l'ombre des guerres tribales. Here, we are talking about the tribal wars because they are talking about the two, a couple, um, Mr. and Mrs. belong to two ethnic groups. And then when the war broke up, the, the two individuals who belong to different ethnic groups were kind of, I don't know, they didn't know which kind of, uh, from which photo to dance, <laughs> to dance because of the, um, uh, but at the end, at the end, the good news is at the end, the, the, the writer is talking about how actually intermarriage is one of the tools which can resolve that, those issues of, 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 of tribalism, of ethnicity, etc. So for him, he says, while differences can be a bad thing, but it can sometimes be a good thing. So the narratives, those novels which are now being published, it's, a, it's as if they are part of the, 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 the African Renaissance. So, because when you look at this, for instance, and this, it's, a, it's an extract I took from the, the, the novel itself. And it says, it is, um, is it rational to reject others due to intolerance, tribalism, and, and anti-dialogue, etc.? And he says, two communities, the two communities which have been cowardly abandoned in futile conflicts, is a call for tolerance, language, lineage, norms, uh, norms and, and customs are nothing else other than the pure chances of hum, uh, humankind's existentialist, existential, sorry, existential being and daily life. And this is where I talk about the ontological perspective. So which means this is an extract from the, 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 the novel. And when you look at it, it's as if it is a treaty um, for, for, for philosophy. So, um, as kind of before I conclude, so what can we get from this one? It, um, it's as if those novels are, talk, are, are taking the, the ontological uh, standpoint, the ontological perspective, because the African Renaissance is the, the, the reconstruction of the African being. So the action, the, 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 the fact of being, the, the fact of, um, of existence, the fact of uh, sharing a common, um, common common values. So it's being being aware of that we exist, that we exist for others, but we exist for 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 ourselves and we exist for others as well. So it's a when we have those different um, ethnic groups which are coming together to form a family, for instance, and to avoid the uh, the bloodshed. It's as if it is a new dawn, a new uh, a new call for for uh, African Renaissance. So the 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 the, the new African writers, for instance, what they are lo lo looking at is to to portray the causes and the consequences the consequences of human action. So they talk about those issues, but at the end they have they have an end, a, a, a positive end note, uh, which is coming to conclude uh, all those novels, which is uh, completely different from what was uh, in the previous, uh, in the previous uh, writings, in the previous narratives. So as a conclusion then, because I went over time, that's why I'm just flying a little bit. So as a conclusion, um, so do we agree then we have that we can have uh, 
engage the writer. Um, Navikov said, and I don't think uh, he, he was wrong in his, um, in his book, he said, for the engaged writer, the words appears, uh, the word, uh, sorry, the word it appears exactly as he has depicted in his work. The author calls on the reader to see the word and the judge events within his own frame of reference in terms of his own truth. So I probably, I think it, um, it is related to the sociological reading I was talking about. So, because when we are reading, um, are we reading actually what the, the writer has written or sometimes are we reading our own experiences? I continue. In his work, the writer uh, impresses the reader with the emotional quality of his thoughts and imagery and seeks to influence his thoughts and feelings, subjecting them to his own will and his own ideals. So I, I think then, um, the, the, the engagement has to be problematized as well because it depends on um, who is writing, in which condition, in which context, uh, because sometimes we can read our, our own uh, thoughts and our own experiences. The takeaway is a quote from myself in uh, a paper I, I published in 2012. So, and I said, it seems that some fictional text of African literature that reflect the representation of disillusionment could become pedagogical tools for teaching history. Such a shift from fiction to reality in reading literature poses genuine concerns in relation to the definition of genre. Because uh, whenever I'm, I'm discussing, for instance, or I pre I'm presenting some papers in, in the conference, in the past, for instance, uh, people were just saying, so then there is an issue. If, for instance, you can use a novel to teach African history because of the uh, the way African writers have felt this responsibility of representing the, the social practices. So what is going to remain then to the fiction? What is going to remain to, to the, the creative writing? What is going to remain to the genre? If novel is no longer a fictional narrative, but instead can be seen as a um, document uh, which can be used for social and political uh, political interpretations. So what is going to happen then? Nobody knows, uh, but that is an issue actually I can perceive, perceive when I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the African, uh, African literature because writers have, um, have had this kind of um, um, explicit contract because when I, I, at the beginning I said the tacit contract between the writer and the reader, but for African writers, it has been completely explicit contract between the, themselves and their societies. Thank you very much. Sorry, Thanks I have so been much. rushing. I have been rushing at the end, but uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to say anyway. So maybe I can just um, uh, go into details um, when I'm answering some questions. Thank you so much, Theo. Uh, merci bien. This has been really great. Uh, and um, uh, unfortunately, we can't give you the, the hands in a proper way through Zoom, uh, unfortunately. But uh, accept our applause, uh, our applause, please. And I have a few questions here. I mean, usually I read them uh, to all of you because not all of you can see them. 
So I'm starting with uh, Leon Riley, who is asking, uh, do you think pan-Africanism is possible given the various different and seemingly disparate identities that exist? Pan-Africanism has, has started with for people like um, Kwame Nkrumah. And how many years now have passed? Many years. So if they haven't been able to reach that goal, will, will they reach it? It's not something impossible, but it's something very difficult. I will give you another example. We have been trying, for instance, to build um, the Eastern African communities. And East African communities, which is made of uh, Tanzania, uh, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, South Sudan, and now Congo. And all of those projects, for instance, they have been doing it together, haven't materialized. Why? Because of the interest um, from different, um, in each, each country. Power is sweet. And it is when they, they, the, 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 the hands which are holding the reins of power, um, if, unless you cut them, they are, not, you are, they are not going to, in African context, I mean, they are not definitely going to, uh, to, 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 to leave it to slip <laughs> through their hands. So Pan-Africanism is a dream. Pan-Africanism is an, an ideal, but um, there is, um, there is a, one person, for instance, who is from Mozambique, and he's, um, uh, he was head of uh, Freddie Mo, uh, Samora Michelle. And after the independence, he became president of, 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 of Mozambique. And he said, for the nation to survive, ethnicity has to die. So for, for Pan-Africanism to, to, to be effective or to reach its, its goal, then those micro identities and ethnicity and so on, so on have to die. So. National interests have always been undermining it. Um, even Gaddafi, he tried actually to have the uh, African currency and he didn't succeed. Now, two weeks ago, there is a text which is um, published by the uh, African Union, which is said they, they wanted to have an African language. And that African language is 90% um, they wanted to make Swahili as the African language. And even right now, they haven't been able to do so. So if they can't have a currency, if they can't have even a, a linguistic planning, which is um, crossing the borders, then the Pan-Africanism will remain utopia. So um, it is possible, but not now. Okay, this uh, relates, very good. Uh, this relates to the uh, question by Patricia Egan. Uh, who is exactly asking about Swahili. Uh, so she's, she's asking, how do you see Swahili as a factor in the renaissance of African identity? Uh, Swahili, so, so it's the, the, the only language which is emerging actually, uh, which is emerging, which is emerging because um, Swahili has been supported by UNESCO more than any language has been. I, I supervised one PhD, for instance, in, in uh, 2000, 2008 to 10, um, and it is a lady who was um, looking at how to use the vernacular languages in Africa as um, languages of instructions. Instead of using English, for instance, um, using vernacular languages, and the Swahili was one of the one of the uh, the languages um, which were emerging, and it is it was funded and later on. Her project was funded by UNESCO 
and she was based in Nairobi, uh, looking into how some African languages can actually be um, the foundation for uh, development. And Swahili is emerging as the lingua franca across Africa. Um, so there is no doubt it will, it will be. You will have uh, some uh, universities, for instance, each university in Africa, um, they have um, Swahili department or Swahili is a part of the African studies. So there is no other language which has been, which has managed to do so. So Swahili will be, will be, will be one of them. And even myself, when I was, uh, I, I, I speak Swahili, just, uh, yeah, I speak Swahili as well. But um, it is across the board, if you speak Swahili in, it, in any African country, they can get what, uh, what you, are, you are saying. Yeah, maybe I can come in here uh, because um, there are other views on, on the concept of nationhood saying, well, this is a, a sort of a colonially imposed concept uh, that, uh, so yeah. uh, so then obviously the solution would, would be not to do away with tribal identities, but doing away with a kind of, or kind of to moderate the existing national identities to an extent uh, that they 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 lose their contingency and their kind of uh, the way how they were imposed on Africa uh, through colonialism or or I'm completely wrong with this. The, the yeah the the issue the main issue is that in Africa we don't have state nations. The state nations has disappeared since the Berlin the Berlin um, summit when Africa was just divided. Uh, between the, the, the superpowers. And then you, they, they ended up by having diff, even different communities belonging to three different countries. You will have some, for instance, some um, Rwandan speakers who are in Uganda because there is a part of Uganda which belonged to Rwanda, but in, in, in Berlin, when they were dividing it, um, it was given to Uganda. When, when you look at, for instance, the map of Congo, you will have one, one land which, which goes into the, 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 into Zambia because it the end they call it the copper belt because the Belgians wanted that land because it was a full of copper so they negotiated with British and they ended up by having that portion of land so you will you will have the absence completely absence of state nations and if we don't have them then you will have a kind of um, the those micro identities or manufactured identities for political and economic interest. And that really be, that has been a hindrance to the to up, actually African unity. Uh, Theo, I have got a last question. Thank you for, for this answer. And of course, well, this, this problem of, of uh, I mean, the overlap of collective identities of all the new ones will, will, will haunt us, not only in an African context. Um, and, I would like to finish with a question uh, by Rachel Hoare, who says, uh, thanks for some fascinating insights. Do you have any ideas around the ways in which we can be respectful to the mosaic of African identities when collaborating or co-researching with people of African heritage to explore their life experiences? So this is a practical question and a very good question. I, I'm having myself. So what, what would be your answer to that, Theo? I think the, 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 the problem in academia is that to, to be able to have that, that kind of um, academic partnerships and joint research on a specific issue, um, it requires funding. 
And the funding, sometimes those funding bodies may impose some areas of, um, of development. So within the academia, we have that respect is there. And so we know those different languages, they can be really the mosaic of identities. They are fascinating and therefore we can work with that. But the question is, who is ready to fund it? Uh, that's the only, the, the only issue. But otherwise, um, academics, you know what? If, if we really want something to succeed, I think we really have to, to ask academics because they are the ones who are very either naive or realistic. But politicians and mainly the funding bodies are um, connected to the, to the politics and the identity politics are driven by politics. So we end up then by having, um, on one hand, we have the will, academic will to work uh, with those in, in individuals in specific areas. But on the other side, then we don't have financial means to do so. That's the only, the only issue. But we can all, always just try because um, it's just a matter of um, a path which has not been traveled by. Okay, so uh, I have two more questions uh, which I would like to, um, to, to combine in a way. Uh, yeah. Martin Worthington is asking uh, whether there are salient differences in content or tone between African literatures composed in European, that is colonial languages, or African literatures composed in native languages. And Ahuvia Mahani is, is asking it in a similar vein, uh, what is the relation between writing and oral communication in this context? The, the Africa, we have to remember that African literature has, uh, first of all, has been oral. So, which means, and when we talked about the ontological perspective, I was referring to actually how history has been passed on through generations and generations through the, the, the oral communications. So we have always been taught our heroes. If you look at, for instance, in South Africa, and you look at the, the Zulu or the Chaka Zulu um, um, heroism or the epic of Mandeng in Mali and, and so on and so on, the whole literature has been through, um, has been the part of the oral literature. But when it, when it, the, 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 we, we are talking about the independent Africa, the, the, first, the first era of, of literature has been actually in a reactive uh, mood because they wanted to challenge the Western discourse, which has been write, written by the white man. And we ended up then by having once again a kind of, uh, and there, is, um, there, there are some uh, critics who said um, the, the movement of negritude was a racist movement against racism. So what I'll do is just walk you through how the presentation works. So if you see the uh, lower right Is there someone who is asking a question or something? No, I think we are, we are fine now. Uh, okay. <laughs> so thanks a lot for this really inspiring uh, and, and thought-provoking presentation, Theo. Uh, uh, we really hope to, to talk with you about uh, all these things uh, uh, soon again. And uh, as I say, uh, you will be a great, uh, you know, complimenting uh, a researcher in uh, our college research strand, uh, Identities and Transformation. Uh, this would be a very valid contribution. Uh, uh, and I hope to talk uh, about it uh, with you soon. 
thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, and merci bien, uh, Theo, for this wonderful presentation again, uh, which will be recorded and be it will be made available uh, to people who uh, uh, unfortunately had to miss this talk today. A cordial goodbye to all of you. Uh, and uh, see you next term for our the research The Hub is a seminar. community. Thank you. Manuscript, book, and print yeah, cultures, stamping provenance towards the history to of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral Sea. The Hub is about impact. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.